This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sale game. Today, we have Mr. Matt Massiello. From SIAA, here to talk to us about this right here, Insurance Agency 4.0. I honestly, honestly, Matt, I read this and I felt like I could have wrote it. Um, We are so aligned (laughs) in so many things we think regarding this, it's almost scary. But before we jump into that, I'm pretty sure everybody's going to have an idea who you are and what your role is in the industry. But real quick, why don't you give them the 10,000 foot overview, as my good friend Scott Howell would say. Hop in my DeLorean and take me back a year, few years and tell me how you got to where you are today. Yeah, let's let's do it real quick. So uh, the time machine goes back. So I've actually been in the, uh, in the industry since 1993. Uh, I am a, a, a dif- disciple of an insurance family. My father started his own agency, started uh, uh, Sand Group, our original network up in the Northeast and the SIAA model uh, today. Uh, so like I said, I've been here for almost three decades. Um, I've worked in every aspect of the business. Obviously, my time has been spent on insurance distribution and working with agencies and carriers. Uh, I spent about a decade as SIAA's chief operating officer, uh, and then over the last several years, uh, leading the organization um, as, uh, as CEO. You know, I define somebody's uh, length of time in the insurance industry by whether or not they know what a short, weight we- short rate wheel is. I'm pretty sure you know that based on that answer. I do, I, I do, and I got to travel in early days of my career with the uh, uh, the field men and women that would talk about the punch cards when they were working on the carrier side for 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 rating and everything. So I, I do go back that far. I have also explained to my children, by the way, what it was like to travel for work and stop at payphones at gas stations to make your calls in between meetings. So um, again, and if you yeah, if you were really technologically advanced, you had a beeper. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I laugh so much because, I mean, even in uh, like I, I started a, a company back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I didn't have enough money for both a beeper and a phone. So I bought the beeper because it was cheaper, created a voice recording that sounded like they were getting a regular person's voicemail extension 
And then anytime I would get a page, I would literally race to whatever payphone I could find to call that potential customer back as quickly as possible. It's crazy to think that we've come as far as we have, but you know, it's nuts, man. And I mean, in the spirit of talking about some of the things that we're going to talk about today regarding technology and all of that, we're carrying around our lives in our palm, in the palm of our hand at this point. I mean, in early 2000, it was the 2000s, the iPods were the thing, man. I mean, we got these MP3 players and they're going to put the CD uh, companies out of business and they did. But guess right. what? I don't even know the last time I saw an iPod anywhere at this point because literally they no. figured out how to revolutionize an industry and we carry everything around in the palm of our hand in the form of a cell phone now. But before we get into insurance agency 4.0, why don't you just take a couple of quick seconds to talk about what is going on with SIAA right now? I know, um, you know, you were not surprised that I asked you if we were going to talk about it. And, you know, I, I want to hear what you have to say, because I think it's very intriguing to a lot of people. It was I would tell you, I don't know if it was the top story in the last two weeks that I saw online because Chubb and Hartford sort of did an end around on you to steal your thunder a little bit, but um, it was up there, man. It was everywhere. So, you know, did, the floor is yours. Yeah. So I actually was very appreciative of uh, Chubb and Hartford and that press release coming out right <laughs> behind ours. That that took a lot of pressure off on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Hey, look, um, <laughs> Uh, whether you're a small agency or a small business owner or whether you're a slightly larger, we're still a small business, but a slightly larger business, uh, perpetuation and perpetuation planning is real. Um, and so uh, uh, my father, as I indicated, started his own agency, started the Sand Group here in the Northeast, started SIA 37 years, 25 years ago for SIA Sand Group, 37 years ago, spent 60 years in the business. Um, and wow. this was a perpetuation. And so we have gone out, we have perpetuated uh, the SIAA business. Um, as we were looking at SIAA, what we realized is we have an ecosystem that relies on us. We have an ecosystem that goes down to our member agencies who we only, we only thrive and survive if our member agencies are successful. It goes up to our, and their employees, it goes up to our master agencies around the country and the principals and the employees and our own staff. And also not to be overlooked is, you know, we're a fairly significant writer of business with many of the carriers in the country. So we took the ecosystem into account and we realized that we needed to take this model and make sure that we're not only perpetuating it from a family business, but we're perpetuating it for the future for everybody that survives in this ecosystem. So we have funded a perpetuation of the business model. Uh, we have brought in investors who are familiar with the industry and comfortable in the industry. Uh, I've co-invested alongside of them. I'm still an owner in the organization. Uh, the management team is all still here. And we're sort of, we sort of feel like the, uh, the powder's dry, uh, the hammer's back, and we're ready to go uh, in the future. So we're super excited. Good deal, man. Well, listen, I'm gonna start with a quote from your book that literally could have come from my mouth. Um, and I want to drill down on this a little bit because I think this is probably one of the most important things agents need to understand, yet they put it off. And for whatever the reason, I don't know if it's fear, and we can talk about that a little bit, but it says the fact that we as independent agents who adopt digital culture will benefit from these investments in the coming years is something we have to carefully navigate. Agents who fight it will be washed over as the technology tide rolls over them. By bringing digital capabilities into the fold with your people and your processes, you scale your operations to grow your agency. In turn, your agency will be more profitable and create a higher valuation. 
Why do people not embrace technology? Um, it's the fear of the unknown. Um, I'm, I'm not a digital native. You know, we're not digital natives. Uh, you've got to get your head around um, uh, fear of the unknown. You've got to know just enough about it to be dangerous. You know, I think you saw in the book, it's not a technology book. It's a business process book. And the goal of the book was to sort of take the fear out of putting digital capabilities within your business and your agency. So I, I think it's fear of the unknown. Also, agencies are busy. We all know what it's like to produce business and the phone's ringing and we're dealing with staff issues. And so where does this sort of land on the priority list? So what, what really, if, if I was to sort of sum the book up in a sentence, it was, I just want to try and help agencies create a cadence to develop a process to embrace technology. That's what we're trying to accomplish there. You know, I, I think too, to a certain degree, part of that fear may stem from the fact that you better have processes in place before you decide whether or not you're going to take them digital. I mean, it's interesting because I have sort of put off the whole use of a VA in our agency for a long time. And I drew a line in the stand and just said, look, I have to embrace this. I mean, I'm a relatively progressive and forward-thinking agency owner. And for whatever reason, I didn't put a lot of weight in using a VA, but we decided we were going to do it. And I realized very quickly that the only way that's ever going to succeed is if I have the processes in place and the right. mechanisms that I can use to train that person on how to do those processes. And I literally, for all of 2021 at this point, Anytime I sit down at my computer, the first question I ask is, should I be doing this? And if the answer is no, the next question is, do I delegate this internally or do I outsource it? And then if I outsource it, how am I going to train this person? And the answer to that's simple. I take a Loom video and I do that task that I would normally complete and I put it into a Dropbox envelope or Dropbox folder rather. And when I got to 25 tasks, boom, VA. Now I've got something for them to do. The training program is already built. And if, God forbid, something happens and it doesn't work out with this one, I've already got all my infrastructure to bring the next person on and train them how to do that. But I think that we is this, in this industry spend so much time doing business the way we've always done it. Oh, well, that's not how they did it. That's not how they did it. And I've told this, I've told this story before. I don't know if I did on the podcast or not, but it was a story of a, a lady that, and this is really appropriate going into Easter, that was sitting at the Easter dinner table and they had a ham and they started talking about preparing the ham. And the, the yeah. lady's daughter said, you know, mom, why, why, why do you cut the ends off the ham? And she said, well, um, because that's how grandma always did it. And so then the lady goes to grandma, grandma, you know, why... Why did you always cut the ends off the ham? And she said, well, that's because that's how great-grandma did it. So great-grandma's on her way out, you know, probably the last Easter or two that she's experiencing. They go to great-grandma and say, hey, why did you cut the ends off the ham? And she said, I don't know why the rest of you do it, but I did it because my pan was too small. <laughs> and I think that we're in a position in this industry where if we don't step back and, and start asking questions and questioning processes and the methodology behind why we do what we do, we're going to be part of that group that gets left behind. And, you know, personally, I don't want to speak for everybody here. There's really no excuse for anybody not to adopt technology at this point. If you didn't get your rear end kicked by COVID and all right. of the things that we had to do to, you know, to, to morph how an agency operates as a result of that, 
I don't know that those people will ever get the message at that point because we had a a prime opportunity to not only understand where we were lacking, but the time in many cases to just sort of slow down and, and, and pick a few things to implement in our agencies. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. And I think part of the problem with our industry, it's not just that grandma and great grandma cut the ends off. Um, it's that our supply chain has a process that needs to be followed as well. So we've got processes. You know, when you ask us, uh, sort of traditional insurance people, why do you do it that way? Well, I have to do it that way because I have to get the submission in. I have to, you know, I have to get the questions answered. I have to go into the carrier system. I have to do this. I have to do that. And the basic fact is our processes are clunky and the consumer mm -hmm. could care less about our process. And so we have an industry, whether it's in our agencies or with our carrier interactions, um, that is about us. And we have to first acknowledge it ain't about us. It's about the consumer. It's about the client. It's about writing that policy. It's about letting them do business the way they want to do business. And sort of a, a fun story, there's a, um, I'm probably not supposed to tell this, but I will. There's a, a insurance company executive in the industry that was, um, used to run a, a large personal lines division, moved, moved over to the commercial lines division, and he was meeting with the middle market folks. And he said to the middle market folks, hey, um, how long does it take for us to handle a middle, to put a middle market submission together, soup to nuts, you know, starting all the way up to writing. And I think they said 45 to 90 days or 60 to 90 days or whatever. And this individual said, you realize Boeing builds planes in the same amount of time, <laughs> right? We're not building planes, right? We're writing insurance. Now, now that's middle market. When you come down to the microcosm in my world, which is small commercial and personal lines, we simply have to adapt to how the customer wants to do things. And part of what you were talking about there early in your in what you were talking about is, is that golden triangle, right? And none of us made this up, but it is making sure that we tie together people, process, and then the technology, right? To tie all of those things together. And if the people aren't aligned, and if the process isn't aligned, your technology is not going to do you any good. Agreed. Sure. Was okay. there a specific well, I mean, event that, oh, sorry, David, I, I was just trying to figure right. out if there was a specific thing that led you to write the book or was it just kind of a culmination of your experience in the industry over time? COVID. Um, yeah. So <laughs> uh, it was, it was partially a, a COVID project, obviously, uh, you know, we, we all found okay. we had a little extra time, but what I, what I will tell you, I think the, the, the bigger thing, Kyle was, um, you know, in, in our world. And again, I've been doing this now for 28 over 28 years at this mm -hmm. point, I've worked with everybody from startup agencies up to larger, sophisticated agencies. And in SIA, we actually help about, and this isn't a commercial, but we actually help somewhere between 250 and 350 insurance professionals every year in starting their own agency. And we do business with mom and pop and local independent agencies. And what I saw is they have the ability to be more agile and to change quicker and to implement these digital capabilities, which level the playing field for them. And so between COVID and uh, I would get together with two other guys and in 13 days, we turned around COVID Proof Your Agency, which was a guide for agencies. Um, so between COVID and between my experience, I just think there's a great opportunity for independent agencies to fortify their business. The industry now knows that independent agencies are not going anywhere and they're ready to invest in us, but we have to invest in ourselves too. And so again, Kyle, long answer, short question. That, that's really what it was. I think that a lot of good stuff came from COVID. I mean, if you're willing to look at it through that lens, it's, it's not limited to the insurance industry. Um, I've talked about it with people before, but I mean, just the whole 
It's been very refreshing in a time in our country where people have been generally divided, and that's not a political statement by any stretch. It's a fact. We can all look at it and see if you're involved in social media at all. It's extremely obvious. But it was very refreshing for me to see the American spirit alive if you were willing to look for it in COVID. And what I mean by that is the ability to adapt, to survive, and use your ingenuity to do it. And one of the best examples that I've personally had experience with is the the ghost kitchens that have popped up for restaurants that didn't have the ability to have people come in and eat. I was on Uber Eats one night and I looked at um, all of the different options and I asked my wife, I'm like, is there like a, a circle of food trucks parked in a parking lot somewhere out there by the mall? Because this all looks like food truck type food, but they're different restaurants, but they have the same address. And I'm like, I got to get to the bottom of this. So when the Uber guy came, I said, look, I'll give you an extra five bucks. I, I need the answer to this question. Can you please tell me what's going on? You know, he's like, oh, no, it's it's a ghost kitchen. And, and basically, uh, there's a there's a concept here. I don't know how far it expands, but there's a concept here called Black Rock Grill, and it's where they yeah. bring you an extremely hot black rock, and you cook your own food on it, but you have to be there to do that, right. and obviously, when things were shut down, we couldn't go into restaurants, and even now that it's somewhat open, we still can't. You know, they took their kitchen space and figured out a way to monetize having equipment that they were sitting there paying for and not using for its own purposes, and now they've got like literally, I want to say there's like eight different restaurant concepts operating out of the same kitchen at this point. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah, would have guessed that your, your favorite COVID is- thing would have been food related? <laughs> there we go. Wasn't right. it? Thanks. Wasn't it sort of all of ours? I mean, we were able to bring the food at our favorite restaurants home and order it digitally. Right yep, through yep. websites and through delivery services, but sort of back to your, your point, David, is what we're really talking about here is the fortitude of small business in this country, and that's actually not just insurance agencies. So our agencies write over a billion and a half dollars of small commercial. So when the pandemic hit, we sort of had this uh oh moment, like boy, a line of business that has traditionally been bulletproof could get really bad really quickly, um, and we've actually seen the opposite. We've seen, um, I was on a call with a carrier the other day, and they were talking about the fact that they've seen more startup businesses uh, ever. Uh, And so the entrepreneurial spirit Hmm. is alive. People took risk. They opened businesses. Weak businesses, unfortunately, and there's a lot of bad things that came out of the pandemic, and we should never overlook the health issues and the trauma that this has created. I have school-age children. It's a freaking nightmare. Uh, And I know a lot of you have gone through that as well. Uh, but but the small business in America is incredibly powerful. Um, the strong got stronger. The same thing fits with insurance agencies and 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 and, and the growth opportunity and the economy that's actually going to come. I think in the next few years, we'll stay out of politics. Taxes will be a headwind. Uh, but the economy that's going to come in the next few years is an incredible opportunity for insurance agencies and small businesses in our communities, just in general. And we see, and I and I sort of like the restaurant example. We see the digital capabilities that our local pizza place created. Or our local restaurant created literally overnight in order to survive and stay in business. So necessity Mm -hmm. is truly the mother of invention. COVID and the pandemic created necessity and it created invention. And to your point, this is just a great opportunity for insurance agencies to reinvent themselves as well. I think it is. I think it's it's an opportunity to get a huge amount of exposure too. And again, I agree with you wholeheartedly. 
in no means should we ever forget all of the negative that has come from this because it far outweighs any positive that we could talk about. I tend to be an eternal optimist and I gravitate toward the positive in any situation. Um, and so sometimes that gets me in trouble. That being said, though, you know, I, I know this just based on my agency's experience, but I feel like everybody's experiencing the same thing. Everybody's shopping, period. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. shopping this year. And yep. if you aren't prepared to deliver that awesome client experience, if you're not prepared to integrate with today's buyer, um, you know, you've had a year, <laughs> you've had a year to get ready for it. And I really feel like that so much negative has come from a financial uh, aspect and how it's impacted uh, the companies out there, small business or otherwise, that people are looking for literally every dollar that they can find. And That's right. the only... The only way they know how to do that is to get their insurance quoted and engage with somebody. And I don't care what your sales style is, whether you're doing total cost or risk like we do, or if you're just you know churning and burning quotes and hoping for the best, whatever it is, you're going to get looks this year. And you better right. be able to capitalize on that. And, and the agencies that were prepared for that were the ones that were creating the experience throughout the year. And it was really funny in, in the pandemic. Um, you know, I would talk to a lot of agencies that said, wow, I'm writing a ton of business. Uh, I put PPP information out to all of my uh, uh, clients. I called to make sure they were okay. I made sure the payrolls got adjusted quickly. I mean, you know, I was proactive with it. And then I'll talk to other agencies and they'll say, man, I'm dying. Like my phone's not ringing, nothing's happening. And I'm like, well, what have you done? They're like, well, I, I'm just trying to get my staff out of the office to move home. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not in the cloud for my AMS. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And there was a real disparity uh, in those types of agencies. But the ones that were proactive, they were creating experience. They were building trust. They were getting the referrals from the people they were building the trust with. So if you didn't do those things, price in shopping is about to become a huge factor for you. But if you did all of those things, you have a leg up in the price war. To your point, price does matter right now because people have a little bit of time to look at it a little more closer than they did in the past. But if we checked our boxes on building trust, creating a good user experience, uh, for letting them know that we're here for them proactively, not just to take their claims or receive their premium payments, uh, I think that was a big deal. That was a deciding factor for a lot of people. I can tell you the number one thing that I did um, for the agency throughout the whole process I'll never forget this because it was just one of those deals where I, I was in the right place at the right time. I saw the opportunity. I seized the opportunity. 4.30 in the morning, I'm up listening to the early edition of the news. They announced PPP is coming out. They, um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I immediately rolled over and as much as she hated it, I woke up my wife and I said, this is huge. I've got I've to pull my resources and help my clients out. And so... I have a good friend of mine that's the CEO of a local bank that I that I trust implicitly. Uh, I knew that they were going to be turning and burning, and on the, they'd be on the forefront of this because they are nimble enough to adapt very, very quickly. And I got to the office, yep. and he's the first person I reached out to, and I said, listen, this is a great opportunity for you to pick up business and me to educate my clients. I want absolutely nothing out of this process other than to meet the needs that my clients don't even realize that they have yet. Can we please do an educational webinar on what's going to happen with this and how they can go about looking for this money? And we had several hundred people on this webinar. We recorded it. We left it on our website so they could request it and listen to it on demand. And as a result, 
we were able to get our clients funded, but we also were able to help the bank generate $50 million a year in new deposits because they brought new business into the bank as a result of the PPP. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize the impact that that had on my clients. I had no idea until this fall we had a, um, we did some remodel work in our home and I used one of my clients to do the work. I'm sure people, some people are cringing right now and think I would never use my own client to do work at my house, but <laughs> I don't care. That's not how I roll. But the guy gave me the quote and I, this is a business, obviously remodels were probably somewhat affected. And I said, um, this is too low. You're not, you're not charging me enough. I'm not, I, I didn't come to you because I want a brother-in-law deal. And I said, look, you know how I am. I'm blunt. <laughs> I want it done right. Charge me enough to have it done right. I'm not looking for a deal. I want you to make money off of it. And he said, I'm not, I'm not going to charge you any more than, than what that is. And I said, look, if that's the case, I'm not going to have you do the work. I want it to be done the right way. He said, let me explain something to you. He said, I'm going to do the job at my cost. And the reason why is because if you wouldn't have had the webinar on PPP, I wouldn't have a company right now. He said, you single-handedly, he said, let's forget all of the stuff you've done for me on the insurance side, which by the way, that was no small feat. I went in, the guy was paying 170 grand a year for workers' comp. Now they pay 42. But, um, you know, we, we, we did something that to me was the right thing to do. Um, I don't know how many people listened to that same news story and had the ability to do the same thing and took no action at all. But it, it it's like I said, I classify people in our industry into three buckets. You have adopters, you have adapters, and you have do-nothings. If you're an adopter, you're on the forefront. You're the one that's leading the way. If you're an adapter, then you wait until something happens. Those were the people who were like, oh, crap, I better go to Amazon and get a webcam now. And they went and got it. And then there's the do-nothings that were the ones that are sitting around saying, hey, my phone's not ringing. I'm just trying to get my staff out of the building and everything else. I don't think we need to abandon that thought process of trying to be an adopter now that we're coming out of it. And I think that sometimes when we go through tough times, because I remember too, man, I wasn't in the insurance industry when we had 9-11. But 9-11 is definitely the most pivotal moment of my entire life. And I, I remember, you know, my life is very easily divided into pre and post 9-11 in terms of how we do things. I think COVID is very much the same way. And while 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 we've had a negative event, we have the ability to pivot and in, in move in a direction that is different than what we may have otherwise because we've had the opportunity to learn, albeit from a very negative circumstance. Yeah. And and just unpacking one quick thing there, you know, this was the opportunity for us to not be seen as the local insurance agent. This was the opportunity for us to be seen as a peer entrepreneur in the community that cared, that was an anchor in the community for other businesses and assumed a leadership position for our clients and for the people that were not our clients in our communities as well. So I think this was just a huge, it was a huge opportunity for those that took advantage of it. Um, the ones that didn't, um, it, it is a, to your point, it's a, it's going to be a challenge for, for those agencies. Um, you know, on the pandemic, I'm a history buff. Uh, and, and, and we talk about this, you know, we had 9-11, other generations had, you know, Vietnam, World War II, uh, uh, Korean War, whatever the case may be. This is a, an event that affected every man, woman and child in this country. Um, you know, this is something that we'll be learning from for decades to come. 
And I think right. the, the business that comes out of it, the interpersonal relationships that come out of it, um, how we handled ourselves, uh, how industries handled themselves uh, will be judged uh, and we'll learn from that as well. So I love hearing the story about what you did for your clients and what you did for your community because independent agencies, we're much more important to our communities uh, than we necessarily claim or state claim to or than how we behave. And, and we should be bigger in our communities than we are. I agree. I mean, we were talking about a guy right before we came on, Chris Paradiso. I don't know if there's anybody in the country bigger in their community than what Chris is. But I mean, look at the stuff that he does. And it's not we ran a whole series of episodes on P on agencies, Mike Stromzo, Patty Laris, uh, James Castile or Castell, uh, Chris and Daniel Song. I mean, I could go on for days about all of the people we talked to. But it, to your point, we have pretty good lives, man. I mean, you know, we're not we're not working for minimum wage. We've got some expendable income. We have a little bit of freedom in our schedules if we're running our businesses right. We have that ability to be present in our community. And, right. you know, my my thing is this. We complain, and, and we don't do a ton of personal lines in my agency, but I hear it because I'm in agency groups that do. And, you know, we complain about the the the, the flows and the, and the lizard and all of this, and everybody wants to do business with them. But my question becomes, what have you done to make yourself recognizable and make a difference in a grass movement effort in your community to where you became the natural first choice? You yeah. know, we don't we don't have that marketing budget, man. I mean, right. I can't go out and compete with a national insurance company for online marketing. It would be ludicrous for me to even try and do it. So why would I? I wouldn't. I can take the level of effort. And, and you know what? Let's be honest. People want your money, but they also, it blows their mind when you're able to give them your time. When you can show up, you know, when you can actually volunteer, when you can, you know, give of yourself. I think that has such a huge impact. But more importantly, it humanizes you. Right. And at some point, if you can allow yourself to be a human... <laughs> to everybody that you're trying to represent, mm -hmm. you will trump digital presence of national brands. I, I firmly right. believe that. But it's not something that just, hey, I have an office here, so people should come see me. You got to do something with it. Yeah. And, and there's a couple of different directions you can go with that. And, and as I've traveled around the country over the years, you know, the first and foremost service we provide is market access. And so inevitably somebody will say to me, hey, I joined SIAA to get market access. Why can't I compete with you know, enter direct company name here. And, and sort of my Cheshire cat smile response when somebody says this to me, I usually have a beer in my hand at that point in the day, is, uh, well, how much do you spend on advertising? And they'll say, well, what's that matter? And I said, well, they spend $2 billion a year. What do you spend on advertising? <laughs> I said, you're yeah. fighting, you are fighting over your weight class, right? Let's get into the appropriate weight class because if somebody wants to, I don't care how good you are, but if somebody wants to save 15% in 15 minutes, or if somebody is looking for low limit, um, low retention, um, high turn, uh, automobile insurance, let the direct carriers write it. Because we are all the things that we just talked about, about building relationships in your community and with the client, they're only price driven. Know your mm -hmm. customer. If they're price driven, let, let the direct writers spend all their time on it. Target the stuff that fits. And, and where I, I will sort of change a little bit of what you said is I do believe 
through creating digital capabilities, both in your operations and how you run your agency, but from a marketing standpoint as well, you can level the playing field. And so I do talk a lot, and it's harder in larger communities, but I do talk a lot about building a community brand. And that's not just digital. That is, I, I've probably said this three times this week, it is still a good idea to put that sign in the outfield at the Little League ball field. Right. I mean, you've got to tie all your digital capabilities together with your traditional marketing as well. But a community brand levels the playing field when you are competed against these large national brands. And while they may have the ability to create um, uh, impact or touches of our clients in the course of the day on the radio and on the television and on print ad and, and on, on social media, um, uh, what they can't do is they can't show their value to the community. And that's what allows us to compete with those large national spends. They can't get into your community and do that. I agree. I actually did a marketing that's campaign a around that, that that basically said, look, I'm the guy you sit next to in the bleachers at the high school, high school football game. I'm the guy you sit next to in the pew at church. I'm the one that you come to when you need a sponsorship or you need somebody to buy 100 boxes of Girl Scout cookies but I'm not the guy you come to when it's time for you to insure your home and your, your autos. And I don't understand why, you know, right. what, what else, what else could I possibly do? But I mean, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I don't, I don't think that we need to just readily accept defeat from them. I think that we need to accept the fact that we have different resources and right. we need to do use ours in the, in the best way that we possibly can. As we talk about agencies evolving and using technology, I know that you and I think the same on this as well, in that we're not used talking about using technology to replace the human experience. We're talking about technology to enhance the human experience. And I think that, you know, if we're not looking to go down that road, we're not really what what we're the message we're sending is I'm not willing to meet you where you want to receive information, Mr. Consumer or Mrs. Mm -hmm. Consumer. You want to be able to do business through a mobile app. I don't want to do it because I've never done it that way before. So I guess I'm just not going to be able to do business with you. And when you hear it said like that, it's kind of nuts to think that any business owner right. would actually, you know, make a decision based on that way. But that's I, I honestly believe that's the perception that some of our constituency has of us yeah. is Look, you know, I remember the old days. I remember going to the State Farm office with my dad for the annual policy review where he would go in and the guy would sell him something every single year. My dad probably has like <laughs> 43 State Farm policies that he's still paying for today because of that process. And all I remember is there was a lady that sat at the receptionist desk and was allowed to smoke in the office and she Chief had a three-inch ash. Yeah, yeah, three inch ash on her cigarette, and she was typing insurance policies on an actual typewriter. That's what I remember of it. Unfortunately, that's the perception that many people have of the in independent agency today because many times we've not done anything to show them any differently. Yeah, and so, I think it comes back to that level of leveling the, the playing field. And, you know, it's 2021, and for us to, and it also comes back to that process in the industry that we have to sort of live in. Like, well, this is the process to write insurance. And, and we don't any longer tell customers or consumers, like, you don't tell me how I'm going to buy my music. Let's go back to your iPod analogy earlier. You don't tell me how I'm going to buy my music. I can stream it. I can buy it. I can download it. I can still go to a record store, right? 
Um, and so for us to think that we can tell a consumer how to buy insurance, we're crazy. We've got to give them the options, right? 70% of the consumers are going to start their insurance process online anyways. We need to grab them online. We're still going to close the deal. We're still going to have people that are available because it is a complex product and they're going to have to talk to somebody, but we've got to give them the path, whether it's a mobile app, whether it's a dynamic website, whether it's coming through whatever, social media, to get the information they need because they want to be an educated consumer, but then when they want to close the deal, they want a person. I think it's the same thing on the service side. We have, a, to your point, we have a lot of agencies that are saying, well, I don't need to do service center, agency, VA, self-service capabilities, mobile app. My phone rings off the hook. And my response to them is, well, what about the people that aren't calling you, right? Agency, VAs, carriers, they're getting 40% of their calls when you're not open, right? So you're, you're dictating to your client how you believe they want to service their policy when we should be giving them all the options to let them decide how they're going to service the policy. And then the second argument I hear from people is, well, you don't want me to be in touch with my client. I said, no, I want you to be in touch and having meaningful conversations with your client. I don't think double checking the VIN number or issuing an ID card is a meaningful conversation for right. you and your client. The meaningful conversation is, David, I saw you added a vehicle this weekend. That was great. I went in, I checked, looks like everything's all set. It looks like you got your ID card. By the way, we've been talking about that umbrella for the last couple of years. I really think it's time for you to consider that. That's a meaningful conversation, not David, I need the VIN number. So <laughs> we've got to sort of change that thought process. You know, it's funny because I don't want to get too far into this because then I'll incriminate myself to a certain degree on one of on, on one of my favorite tricks. But I'm going to give you a story and the two names will be changed to protect the guilty. Um, there is a company that has a name very similar to my agency's name that is also in the business. And it never fails that at least once or twice a week. I will get a phone call and it's one of their clients looking for them because when you type their name into Google, my company shows up first. And so they just, maybe they have a brain freeze, whatever, but they hit the button to click to call. And without fail, I answer the phone because I'm the only one that's actually physically in the office. So I, I get the call um, and it doesn't, we don't get a ton of inbound calls. So usually it is somebody who wants something when they're calling, we're not getting solicited or whatever. But I'm telling this story to enhance the fact that we need to get our staff to be quick on their feet um, when, when, when the phone rings and understand how that conversation needs to happen. So I'll get the call and it's, I need to know where my certificate is. Why haven't I gotten it yet? Well, ma'am, I apologize. Can you tell me the name of your company? I don't seem to recognize your name and neither does our system and they'll give me their company name. And I'll say, I, apolo I apologize, but we... Um, I don't show that we have any record of representing the, uh, that's kind of embarrassing for me. Maybe I misspelled something and she's like, I'm just telling you, we, I need this certificate. Well, ma'am, let me ask you another question. Are you sure you have the right company? Because all of our clients have a self-service portal for certificates if they choose. And it sounds to me like you have a high volume certificate issue in your company. And I guess my, my, my point is that if you were working with us, you and I wouldn't even be talking about this because you can have your certificate in your end user's hands faster than you could even send me an email asking for it. And she said, names the company. And I said, no, ma'am, that's not me, but I can be your agent today if you'd like. 
Boom. <laughs> yeah. I, look, I'd make sure that agency is on your Christmas card or your holiday card list because th- they're they're both a new business source and now they're an acquisition target. So yeah, um, absolutely. Make, make sure they get a card from you every year. In, in ironic news, they've reached out to me no less than a half dozen <laughs> times uh, trying to acquire us. So yeah. <laughs> it's gone nowhere. So you, but, you brought up meaningful conversations. Is there anything else that you consistently see as room for improvement as you're traveling the country? Um, I, 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 I do. And, and, you know, and I say this all the time, Kyle, when you've seen one independent agency, you've mm-hmm. seen one independent agency, right? Everybody's <laughs> different. Yeah. And that's why I want to get them into that sort of approach to figure out one of the things that we give them and it's available on my website, but we talk about it in the book is we give them a, a self-diagnostic questionnaire that we created at, at SIA for our members where they can sort of measure their digital capabilities and it allows them to say, okay, we're doing great here, but this is where we need to put the effort because we're not doing well. And it just really, it really varies by, it really varies by agency. Uh, with it. And so we, we focus in four key areas, marketing, operations, sales, and service. And a lot of times agencies will, you know, they'll have an 80 in marketing, but they'll have a 50 in service because they're not doing the stuff that we just talked about uh, mm-hmm. and making that stuff available for uh, for their clients. So um, we try and have them zero in on um, where they can be better. The other thing that we do here uh, and that I suggest in the book is it's great when us principals take these sort of self-diagnostic surveys about our business because we think we're pretty damn good. That's what um, I was going to say. I, I wonder how many people yeah. are actually honest and are putting down what, you know, or, or if it's just kind of a, a, a jaded score. That's right. And so I tell them um, uh, if you if you if you have the fortitude, have your staff take the same test there and you go. then be be patient and be willing and be, li- be willing to listen to them because your staff, especially because a lot of them are probably younger, are going to take a different view of your capabilities and where you can improve it. And so That's a good point. Uh, this sort of brings us back to, to David's point a second ago about the importance of people. People have to be part of this. We're not replacing them. We're not getting rid of them. We're trying to give consumers and clients what they want, but we're also trying to make our staff more efficient, more effective. We have a younger group that is coming to work for us where quality of life is very important to them. We're yeah. not going to change that. How they think is more important than how we think. They're the client and the employee of the future. So they want technology. They want that quality of life, and they're going to help agents and our businesses evolve because it's the it's the ecosystem they live in. They are digital natives now. So yeah, I mean, to your point about looking at the other generation, I have to tell you, man, one of the best moves that I've made uh, is I bring in college interns to basically, to be honest with you, educate me on what's going on right now. And it's amazing to me to see how differently they attack problems. And I think that the key to all of that is, and and I've said this now for, for months, we need to move from a mindset of control to a mindset of collaboration. Because if we don't do that, we're gonna be the ones that are left in the dust. And the way that I've done this is I basically allow, when they come in, I look, for, I don't, I'm not looking for insurance interns. They're marketing people. Right. I, you know, mm-hmm. I can teach them the insurance piece and all of that, but I want people that are marketing people because ultimately that's what's going to be the most valuable to the agency. And I will present to them a business problem. And the last two summers combined, we have launched three different, they could basically be their own company, but three different products 
and all technology based and the interns have built them from the ground up and I basically oversee it like you know I'm I'm saying well maybe look at this maybe look at that but they have creative freedom in everything they do I don't want to keep them from doing you know what they do best and it's been a, a very very interesting process I like to think I'm hip to the times because I've got an 18 year old you know but not my I would I would argue that my 18 year old probably not quite at the mental maturity level yet of the college interns that are seniors that come in and that that has been one of the best things we could do and you know it's also a great recruiting tool yeah, you know, look, one of the, the most frequent things we hear from people is, you know, the hardest thing for me is to find staff, is to find people, is to train people. And and we've all read these articles, you know, almost as much as the demise of the independent agency was written about the fact that we have a huge talent drain happening in the industry and the technical people are retiring and everything. And what, what we've uh, sort of learned, um, we do some interns, but what we've sort of learned with the younger people coming in, to your point, um, they're curious. And they're problem solvers. And if you give them technology or a path or the ability to find a solution, they will find it and they will bring it back to you. And so we've started a lot of younger people. I know you said you don't do a lot of personal lines. You know, here in our organization, we've started a lot of younger people in processing. And then we've moved them into personal lines. And they sort of work through there. And then we're elevating them into commercial lines or into other areas uh, around our organization. And now we're not a retail agency, but what we've seen is that younger generation um, again, like I said, they make us more efficient. They get the technology. They're hungry. They're competitive. They like their lifestyle. Um, but they've been nothing but additive to the organization. And I think that as we, you know, if we if we look like insurance and we feel like insurance, like we wouldn't be here if we look mm -hmm. and feel like insurance. We've got to make whether we're insurance agencies or whether we're somebody like us or even the insurance companies, we have to not look and feel like insurance. We have to look and feel like something that's more excited. And, I, and you know, pre-pandemic, I travel around the country and spend a lot of time at the insurance companies. And uh, I was on a sweep a couple of years ago and I went to numerous organizations and I won't call any of them, but I was in one town uh, in the Midwest and I went to one insurance company that looked like an insurance company. It was cube farms and, you know, glass and, you know, do not disturb and conference rooms and offices with the doors shut. But I went to two other insurance organizations. One's a broker and, and, and one's a company. Um, and they looked like technology companies. They had cafes in the lobby. They had technology hubs where you could go and, you know, work with the tech people to fix your computer. They had collaborative workspaces. One of the coolest things I saw was they had an area outside, let's call it underwriting. I don't remember what it was where you could go out there and you could say, geez, you know, uh, uh, Kyle did a really good job on that account. I'm going to give him a gift card to this restaurant or Dunkin' Donuts or a movie theater and a thank you note. And it was a kiosk sitting in the lobby that anybody could go to and they could hmm. offer an appreciation to one of their coworkers. These aren't big deals, but these are things that help people collaborate. It motivates them to work. It's not all about money, right? It's about feeling good. It's about feeling like you're accomplishing something. It's about giving them their social purpose and their ability to fulfill their social responsibilities. And we have to do those things. And if we do that, we're not going to get that old you know, car salesmen and life insurance agents, right? You know, we're, we're both sort of in the same bucket. We will look different if we think differently and if we act differently. And that will help with that talent drain in the coming years. Yeah, I say it all the time, man. You know, I think agents miss the mark in terms of how they run their operations. Um, my, my opinion is, 
that we're not an insurance agency until we need to be, until we sell an insurance product that requires us to administer that product, take the necessary action, structure the program, or whatever else, that's when we become an insurance agency in my mind. Until then, we're a high-powered sales organization. And if you run your operation as if you're a sales organization, you never have to worry about having a lack of energy or bringing in new blood or new ideas or whatever else because you're really catering to those people who are looking for that. If you have people that want the desk job, you know, the underwriting job, the the marketing and the marketing a submission type position, you have that too. And I think that you know, we need to recognize and embrace the difference in both of those and realize we can actually serve two different subsets of people because not everybody wants to be, you know, client facing sales high energy. Some people are okay with coming in, working the eight to five or nine to six or whatever it is, hitting the desk, you know, working a, a, a big pile of paperwork for the day. And when that paperwork's gone, they've got a huge sense of accomplishment. Certainly, I know as a producer, I need that person because I need right. like five handlers most of the time to clean up after the demolition I do. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think I think we need to recognize that and, and realize that we don't have to just be one thing. Yeah, right. how come we don't have a cafe? <laughs> and, and also, I want a kiosk where I can send you notes all day. Uh, you know what? I literally just thought about the fact you would never pay for Chick-fil-A again if we had a kiosk. <laughs> oh, my God. be fantastic. Well, Matt, listen, I appreciate – we obviously had technical difficulty. You came back on. This was a really good conversation. We could talk for days. I will definitely approach you in the future to come back on and and dive deeper. But um, I want to leave the floor to you. I don't care if you do a shameless plug or commercial or whatever it is you want to do, man. The floor is yours as we close out. Take it away and lead lead us out. Yeah, there's not a shameless plug here except for the independent agencies. And so, look, I think if you're a a producer or an exclusive agency and you want to open your own independent agency, uh, this is a great time to do it. It's a great business. You guys have seen the success that can be created. Uh, If you're an existing independent agency out there or you're managing or working independent agencies, this is a great time for us to sort of evolve our industry. So it's around for all of us uh, and maybe even our kids at some point as well. So I would just say we have to evolve our industry. We have to sort of double down on it. Uh, We have to modernize what we do, uh, but we should be proud of what we do in our communities. We should be proud of the assets that we protect. We should be proud of what we did in the pandemic. Uh, And we would love to have more people come into this industry and join us uh, uh, on the success that many of us have created. And I think the final part is, you know, you've rattled off a couple of names today, uh, whether it's Paradiso or some other folks out there. There are a lot of people, uh, ourselves included, that are willing to just help agents. You know, we give our own sort of time and treasure and resources. Some of it's to help our own businesses, but most of the time it's just to help agencies because if the whole industry does better, we all do better too. Mm-hmm. I agree. People, it's right here. Insurance Agency 4.0, I assume available on Amazon and any number of things. There's interactive resources in here that you can use to make yourself better. The price of this is really negligible compared to what you can get from it if it changes the way you do business going forward. I know I speak on behalf of Kyle. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate you coming on, man, and look forward to watching SIAA continue to progress and evolve uh, as it also goes through the Insurance Agency 4.0 process in its next iteration. Truly our pleasure to have you on, sir, and much appreciated. Thank you, guys. Loved it. Appreciate your time. 
You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 